how to take that Francis. <laughs> Seminary killing me. Probably implies one thing. I wasn't as smart as you. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, welcome. Uh, good evening, and uh, glad you're here with us today. Um, yeah, I, you probably do wish Francis was up here uh, today instead, but that's okay. You know, because you only have to bear with me for 30 to 40 minutes max, right? Um, but thanks for having me uh, today to speak to you from uh, God's Word. Um, today we'll be taking a break from our normal series in the book of Philippians. Uh, rather, I'll be speaking on uh, a topic I hope you will find relevant for your lives. Yes, even right now. So, um, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. And we'll be looking at Psalm 46. Psalm 46. And I'll be reading from the ESV version. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, but he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Salah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war seas to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Slaw. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for just this opportunity that we have to study your word, this time of teaching. I pray that you would be with me, Lord, knowing that I am fully really dependent upon your spirit, and I pray that you would just help us to really understand what this passage has to say, and that it would compel our hearts um, to see the importance uh, of having confidence in you, God, no matter what we may face in our lives, Lord. When trouble comes and difficulty, that we would lean on you and trust in you. So help us now, in Christ's name we pray. Well, I want to start today with a question for all of you guys to, to think about. And that question for you to consider is this. What are some circumstances or situations in your life right now, or maybe recently, that caused you to fear? So in other words, another way to phrase that is, you know, what are some things that have made you fearful, that made you anxious recently? To cause you to feel like your world is perhaps spiraling out of control, spiraling out of control. Perhaps maybe, you know, as a, as a student right now, a college student, things are, are really tough. Um, it seems like you have a hard grasp of balancing everything in life, whether it's, you know, studying God's word, um, your, your own devos, um, fellowship with other Christians, as well as 
um, diligently studying, you know, that your parents have sent you off to college and you, have, you, you want to be faithful with that as well. And sometimes perhaps it could just feel like uh, you have very little control over your lives. Perhaps you plan to stick with your major through graduate, uh, graduation. Or graduation is going to be tough because you went in as an undeclared major and now you have to choose a major. Uh, but you realize that the major that you want to get in is very impacted. As the situation was for me when I studied uh, and tried to get into college, I tried to apply to the Haas program at Berkeley as well as the UCLA Anderson program for business at UCLA. Top two programs in probably for business in, in California in public school and in public schools. And I did not get into either of them. And that's when I realized, do I still want to spend all that money to go to a UC first or risk it going to City College, study for two years, and then make that become three or four years because of the lack of, I guess, uh, discipline that a lot of you know, City College students have. Um, there is that reputation where um, there's a reason why they're in City College because they did not study hard as was my case in high school because all I did was play video games. But it felt like my life was spiraling out of control and that my world was turned upside down when I, I realized while all my friends were going into their dream UCs in college, I would be in City College on my own by myself. Okay? And so we all face those kind of difficult circumstances in our lives. We all live life in this world. And that is why we have to consider Psalm 46 for us today. For our lives, because Psalm 46 is all about troubling times that we face, uh, when life unravels and it seems like our world is crumbling before us. Uh, the book of Psalms is a unique book of 150 poems by multiple authors uh, that span the history of Israel's time from the time of their exodus, uh, when they left uh, Egypt, uh, into their exile because of their disobedience against God. Uh, and falling captive to other nations, such as the Assyrian Empire and then the Babylonian Empire. So these poems express a, a wide variety of emotions, um, even from the uh, forms of complaint to, to God, as from one's heart, to um, ecstatic praise and thanksgiving for God. And they help us to uh, vividly express the emotions that we have towards God, as well as passionately reflect upon His character. Uh, we don't exactly know why this psalm was written in terms of uh, the context. Some have said that it was written after the time Israel had fended off some enemy attackers. Okay? Uh, when the, the time when uh, Jehoshaphat rallied Judah, uh, Judah and the people of Jerusalem to have faith in God and deliver them, which was recorded in 2 Chronicles 20. But the theme of this psalm is basically this, a tremendous, tremendous confidence in God. Uh, that in the chaos of life, or if we find ourselves in a tight spot or a time of difficulty in our lives, we can have confidence in God. Uh, so today's key idea is this, that we can be confident in God when faced with difficulties in this world. And we're going to be looking at three reasons uh, why we can be confident in God. The first reason that we'll be looking at uh, is this. We can be confident in God when faced with difficulties because God's power is calming. God's power is common. Look with me at uh, verse 1, where we see that this psalm starts with God, and it ends with God. He is the subject of this psalm. And this is very important, because many times when you or I face difficulty or trouble in this life, uh, the last thing we usually think about is God. And because of this, we look inward at our circumstances, 
and our hearts get anxious, you know, or, or fearful. And so this psalm is a remedy to that. Uh, that by, it provides us with a paradigm shift in how we think, uh, to not look inward at our circumstances and our situation, but upward towards God. Uh, so how does this reorienting our attention to God help us in times of difficulty? Well, it's because of the qualitative characteristics of God in relation to us. Uh, you see, in verse 1, the psalmist regards God as his refuge, his strength. That first word that describes God is a refuge. And basically, a refuge is a place or something that provides a shelter. Uh, maybe you're, you're in uh, pursuit of this shelter. You're in danger or in trouble, so you're trying to escape that danger or trouble. You're trying to flee towards something that I guess will keep you safe, will keep you protected. And that is the idea of a refuge, a place of protection and safety. It's a place where you can feel secure. Even in the most difficult times, such as a severe storm or war, one can find shelter in God for protection. In Isaiah uh, chapter 25, verse 4, it says, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. And that describes how God uh, relates to his people and how he is. Uh, we see this example even in, in today, in today's society. Like when all the major news channels uh, about two years ago were, was covering uh, the Syri Syrian refugee crisis and how the, the, the Syrian refugees were migrating towards uh, Europe in the hopes of finding a safer and less troubling place to live because other families uh, were, were, were getting killed uh, because of ISIS and all of these missiles and, and, and bombs. And, and so the place that they were living was just basically in, inhabitable. And so they sought refuge. They sought shelter from, from the pain of losing loved ones, even at the risk of uprooting their whole family when they had very little to begin with and at a huge risk. And the second word we see here that describes God is not only a refuge, but strength. And this gives us further description of how God functions as a refuge for us. It's his enablement that he gives to his people. He enables his people. God is the source of his people's strength when everything around them is spiraling out of control. For example, Psalm 62, 7 says that God is like a strong tower against his enemies. Psalm 37 says, his strength towards his people is like a strong mountain. So while refuge places an emphasis on safety and trusting in God, strength, on the other hand, refers to what God provides to the weak. What God provides to the weak. It's his empowerment for us to act. This is our God and the reason why we can have confidence in him. But when can we be confident in our God? Well, the psalmist says that we can find refuge and strength in God now. Uh, verse 1 says, a very present help in trouble. So this isn't something um, you have to wait for uh, for tomorrow. Uh, you can be safe in God's hands now. It is accessible now. And we see why this is important, because the thought of delay would not be very reassuring for us if we had to wait for certain things in life, right? But the very fact that he is a present help means God is our source of confidence now, the here and now in this season of life, and as well as in the next season of life that we may find ourselves in. And because God is a refuge and strength, the only proper conclusion that we can arrive about for our God is he, as he relates to us as a father is that we should not fear, that we shouldn't have to fear. 
Now, isn't that calming? Since God is with us and a present help in trouble, we have no reason to fear when we face difficulties in life. But what exactly are these difficulties that the psalmist talks about? And what's next is nothing short of astounding. It seems as if God can be trusted in the small things, but not necessarily the big things, you see. The psalmist basically destroys that premise, that kind of uh, uh, rationalization. The psalmist claims that he will not fear even if the earth gives way. Even if the earth gives way. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I've heard people say some pretty bold things before, and I've always thought to myself, you know, you know you're pretty you know, prideful and self-confident before you, you, know, you fall because God humbles you know, the proud. So we reasonably see that God as a refuge and strength during the normal times of life is, is pretty normal, right? It, we're cool with that. But when something big comes up in our life, that's when we make God small. I see this even in my own life. Uh, now, some of you, you know, you just heard uh, Francis share that, you know, my main ministry is in Praxis, right? The young adult ministry here at Lighthouse. Uh, okay, I'm getting a lot of take this off. <laughs> Plus the illustration I'm about to share, too. Maybe that's why. <laughs> as you'll be. So I serve in Praxis, and, you know, as a young adult group, we, we usually have events happening every month. Um, so we have our normal teaching series, going through a book of the Bible, and then we have special events each month. Someone's laughing. He knows what's up. Well, anyways, what happened was we planned a Sisters Appreciation event, okay? Pretty normal, right? Sisters Appreciation event. Um, I mean, you guys have that kind of stuff for WCF. I had that when I was in WCF in college, where you put on, like, a nice dinner, you know? You dress up, you know? Have the guys cook or cater food, and you have some kind of weird skits or performances, you know, where you took, like, some secular song from pop, you know, and try, try to remake the lyrics to try to encourage the sisters, you know? <laughs> so, you know, that's... That's, that's your idea of a sister's appreciation. Well, we kind of had something like that, too, for ourselves, okay? And so helping out for this event wasn't that big of a deal for me. You know, I'm sure the sisters would appreciate it, uh, appreciate it, but, you know, there's a caveat to this sister's appreciation event that we had. It took place yesterday. Now, many of you know what yesterday was. It's a pretty big internationally recognized day of significance. You know, think hearts, pink chocolates, roses, fancy dinner. And for some of you guys who are totally clueless so what I'm talking about, it's, it's called Valentine's Day, okay? So the stakes for this sister's appreciation event just went up exponentially, okay, for you math majors, okay? 10 to the 100th power, okay? So it, it was really risky. And my stoic calmness at first, just a few weeks ago, was now turning to a huge concern and worry. Anxiety that we might bomb this event, and the women are either going to leave hungry, one, because we didn't plan for enough food, we didn't budget things correctly, two, they would be creeped out uh, by us guys doing strange things to try to encourage them, three, sending uh, mixed messages or being and then leading them to be super cautious, you know, thinking, like, what are these guys like? real motives, you know, are, are they, do, do they like me, or just being nice, or just being weird, which is pretty normal, um, so, okay, they had, they had an idea of maybe ulterior motives, so that's what I was, that was what was running through my mind, okay, so in my mind, this sister's appreciation event could have easily become sister's discouragement, or sister's dis uh, depression event, okay, but by God's grace, you know, things actually turned out well, at least from my perspective. Um, but yeah, I did get a few encouraging you know comments from some of the sisters. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
So, yeah, but getting back to it, I had nothing to worry about, even though the stakes were very high, right? And there was like a lot of, pro a lot, a lot of pressure, at least, you know, pressure I, I put on myself. Of course, this is all in hindsight. But how often, you know, at the same time, do we often operate or function like this in our lives as believers? Uh, things seem to be going well in our lives. Our small group leader asks us how things are going, you know, maybe week one of WACF or, or here at Beacon. And you say, oh, everything's going well, you know, I'm making friends, you know, I'm doing well in my classes. And fast forward a few more weeks, you know, whether you're at UCLA, USC, or, or, or Long Beach State, fast forward a few weeks, uh, midterms and finals are quickly approaching, and suddenly you find yourselves in a tight spot. You realize your professor isn't as easy as you thought he would be after the first maybe quiz or exam you have, whether it's with the clickers or not. Uh, meanwhile, it seems like time is escaping you, and you have no time to do anything outside of school. It's during these times we forget the reality that God is our refuge, and God is our strength. As our minds wander towards being anxious, being stressed. What's happening is we're not looking towards God. We're not regarding Him as, as an help when we're in trouble. We believe God is smaller or incapable of addressing our circumstances, our situations. We treat Him like an ant set against an anvil, anvil of difficulties and stresses in life. But the psalmist doesn't think that, that way, even when extreme difficulty strikes. Even if a catastrophic, world-crushing event were to befall us or personally affect our lives, we do not need to fear, but put our confidence in God. The language that the psalmist used to describe such times uh, speaks about the earth giving way. This is the idea of chaos or uncreation that's happening, uh, where order is flipped upside down. Mountains are moved into the seas, and mountains represent an immovable force of nature. Uh, it represents something fixed onto the earth's ground as being secure. To imagine mountains uh, shake or slip onto the, uh, into the sea is terrifying, and it gives the idea of a huge earthquake or the laws of gravity were, were overcome. For example, if El Capitan or Half Dome in Yosemite were to slip, or to capsize, it would garner the attention of the whole nation, not just California. Or think even bigger, Mount Fuji or Mount Everest being thrown into the sea. It would seem like something out of an apocalypse, uh, apocalyptic movie or end times movie okay, that you would see that Hollywood puts out. Where all life and earth is, is put at risk. Catastrophic circumstances. World-crushing forces working against you, putting your life at risk. The image here in the, the psalmist use of waters roaring and foaming during a huge storm or tsunami coupled with mountains shaking in verse 3 only amplifies the point the psalmist is making. And that point is this. God has control over nature. The force of nature is under the control of our almighty God. He controls the world. The nature, nature may be powerful, but God is even more powerful. Reformed theologian John Calvin writes this about the psalm. You know, it's an easy matter to manifest the appearance of great confidence so long as we are not placed in imminent danger. But if, in the midst of a general crash of the whole world, our minds continue undisturbed and free of trouble, this is an evident proof that we attribute to the power of God the honor which belongs to him. Brothers and sisters, you know, we can have confidence in God's strength 
and power in our times of need. Now, this is a, isn't to say that you know, God's people shouldn't have any fear at all in terms of lacking emotions or, or, or feeling. Or Also, there is a difference from being insensible and being confident in the faith. Okay? This isn't uh, like, oh, I can do anything uh, through him who strengthens me. You know, I can jump off a bridge and fly and going to the extreme, you know, ridiculous side of that type of reasoning. So it's not to be taken out of context in that way. But that whatever may happen to us, we're never overwhelmed with fear. Because we find our strength and courage in a God who is sufficient to put our fears to rest. And likewise, God exercises control over nature, over the forces of the sea, over earthquakes, tsunamis, because he's the God over nature, and he holds the earth in the palm of his hands. And because of that fact, we can keep calm and trust in his power. Like a good neighbor, God Almighty is there. <laughs> so, getting more serious now. Brothers and sisters, what are the things in your life that cause you to fear? The thing that causes you to be anxious and restless rather than trusting God, drawing near to God for comfort. Is it maybe the prospect of not having a job lined up after you graduate or to be able to pay off uh, school loans that you may have? Uh, you know, what do you turn to for refuge when you're stressed? What is your safety or your comfort zone? Is it your own hard work or maybe treating yourself because you, you feel like you deserve it afterwards? What does your life in prayer look like as a reflection of what you're placing your, your, your trust in, your safety? And that brings us to the second reason for why we can be confident in God during difficult times. The second reason we can be confident in God is that his presence is comforting. His presence is comforting. So in verse 4, the psalmist is contrasting the raging waters of danger and catastrophe now with a river whose streams makes glad the city of God. Uh, there's a shift in the mood from the roar of rushing waters now to peaceful and gentle river. Don't miss this. Uh, from the raging of a sea storm powerful enough that it can capsize gigantic ships or earthquakes with such immense power uh, it's capable of pummeling mountains off its footing. The psalmist transitions now to a tranquil and mild-flowing river. Uh, this shift in a motif or imagery is a transition from a disturbing scene in a movie to a screen of peace and serenity, as if to signal things are calm now, things are okay. Life is okay now. Things are going to be better moving forward. There's no threat of the forces of nature against us in the, in the first part of the in, in this part of the psalm. But comfort is found in God's presence. With God, the waters are no longer raging and menacing, but gives life, a hope for one's ability to thrive in life. Uh, when it says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, uh, you can think of it as this. Cities in ancient times were almost always built near rivers. Okay, There's a reason why cities, if you ever took like a, maybe urban planning class, I don't know if you guys have that major or something similar. You know, why is it important that cities are built around like a body of water or has access to water, you know, whether it's canals or pipelines? There's a reason for this. It allows a city to flourish by providing much needed irrigation canals um, so the city can flourish, okay? So because water represents life, for it's essential to the livelihood of humans. Even us, you know, as people living in LA, we need a, a river, we need water. Even though most of us in LA probably have no idea where our water comes from, or that the LA River is just like a man-made kind of like it's it's not even a river, but 
Anyways, the, the point is we need water, right? It's important for us to survive. Water represents life. And this is reminiscent of the river that branched out towards Eden and provided the garden with everything that it needed to flourish for its livelihood. Where in Genesis 2, verses 10 to 14, there was a river that flowed out of Eden that watered the garden. And this river had a division point where it would split into four more rivers, such uh, two of them, the major ones that you would know, the Tigris River and the Euphrates River. And these rivers would spread throughout the surrounding land and allowed it to be fertile. And the Garden of Eden was the place of God's dwelling in relation to Adam and Eve. Yet they would ultimately be banished from the Garden in God's presence because of their disobedience to God. And the river that's spoken here of in Psalm 46, is a stream that flows to the city of God. And this city of God refers to Jerusalem, uh, the people of God in the city of God, and the presence of God. Uh, God. Uh, Psalm 48, uh, Psalm 48 verses 1 through 2 says, Great is he is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, uh, is the joy of all the earth. Uh, Isaiah 60, 14 says, The sons of those who afflicted you shall Come bending low to you, and all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Now, if you're a geography expert, you'll know that Jerusalem's old city uh, was in the hills, and there weren't any large rivers around it. But there was a spring nearby that gushed uh, with water under the hill of the city of David. And so the Israelites would channel the water into a pool where it would be available at all times for them to, to live. Even if their city was besieged by surrounding enemy nations, they could still survive with the water. But we know it's not just water that will allow God's people to survive. Even if a city has water, it can be taken over by enemies. You, you know, one cannot rest uh, and trust in their own ingenuity and planning and efforts without considering that it's ultimately God who is in control. He is the God most high and the one whose habitat is with Israel. God is the protector of his people and will keep them safe. All of the dangers of this world and the chaos uh, that they, they may have faced does not lead his people to be slaves to fear, but for them to experience peace in the presence of God. And since God is in the midst of his people, she shall not be moved. His people will be protected. In verse 5, the psalmist says that God will help her when the morning dawns. See, God's timing is perfect. While verse 1 spoke of God perpetually being available to his people in, in trouble, always presently there, verse 5 focuses on God's perfect timing in helping us. Uh, when, he, when the morning dawns, gives the idea of a new day. During a new, uh, new morning, early in the day, was when an attack on a city would likely take place if you're in a war, Okay. They would launch a, a surprise or attack or early in the morning. This is when you would likely be most vulnerable, you know, just maybe waking up from, from sleep at your weakest moment. And it is at this moment that God comes in and helps, helps his people. He always shows up at the right time. He always helps us when we're most vulnerable, most weak. It was at the morning dawn that Moses stretched out his hand over the seas for God's help. And God answered by causing the waters of the sea to cover and drown the armies of Pharaoh who were chasing and pursuing them when they tried uh, to, to escape Egypt. But God's people, the people of Israel, walked on dry ground through the sea. 
You see, God helps and is always present at the very right time, as he was faithful to Moses and the people of Israel. You know, when I was younger, which isn't too long ago, I used to watch a lot of anime and manga. And um, there was this one manga series um, uh, I enjoyed watching called uh, Naruto. I don't know how many people actually know Naruto. It's kind of an older anime manga. But it's a fictional manga about the ninja world, right? And so it incorporated a lot of, like, ninja world Japanese themes, like folklore, myth, spiritualism. But, okay, not sidetracking from that. This manga is basically similar to something like Dragon Ball Z, for those of you who are even older than me, uh, where there's a lot of action, and there's a lot of action, and usually centered around a hero who gets stronger and stronger and fights against stronger enemies as the plot and story develops, okay? So basically, it's never ending. There's always going to be someone stronger, or for those of you who like Pokemon, there's always going to be more Pokemon to catch, right? To catch them all, or become the very best Pokemon trainer. No matter how many times you fight in Naruto, someone more evil comes along who's stronger and better than the previous guy that you fought. Okay, so these ninjas are broken down by various villages in the ninja world based on uh, you know elements of the earth, whether it's like water, sand, leaf, fire, mist. You know, um, and so near the end of the series, okay, and I apologize for the spoilers. An evil antagonist showed up by the name of Madara, okay, who's bent on bringing the world under his control as his way of ending pain and suffering in the world, okay? So that was his answer, to bring everyone under his control, okay? Using this, this eye technique that puts you in, like, a hypnosis, like, type of, uh, yeah, basically, yeah, that's it. So he's a powerful guy who performs a powerful ninja technique uh, when he's trying to take over the world called, uh, you don't need to know this, uh, Chewbacca Tensei, which creates a floating ball of energy, and it has like a gravitational force pull to it, so it just pulls everything from the earth, like towards it to the ball, and then later he can hurl it back onto the earth, and basically, like, you can destroy major parts of the planet, okay? So that was his, his skill. And then, how's this relate to the Bible? I hope I'll get there. <laughs> so... It gets bigger and bigger, masses a, a huge portion of the earth, and it just gets hurled back at the earth, and it can cause immense devastation. It can destroy entire ninja villages, okay? And the regular ninjas of the villages uh, were utterly hopeless against, uh, you know, pre preventing or stopping this, this, you know, this, this, this technique. And they had to put all their faith in their village leader, which was Naruto, the hero, the protagonist of this, this manga anime, okay? Because of Naruto's power, the village of the ninjas were able to be calm and trust in his power. Their village was safe as they found comfort and strength and care, the care of their village leader, known as the Hokage. The Hokage was a champion of the village, okay? And no one expected, and, and, okay, you would put your life on the line to save the village, okay? And now this is, illustration is getting super long. So... <laughs> But he built up a reputation, and he was known to be legendary, okay? And in a similar way, in today's psalm, the chap <laughs> Try your best. <laughs> in today's psalm, the champion of God's people is the Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob, who is a fortress for the people, Psalm 46, verse 7. The title Lord of hosts is connected to the people of God. It describes God's role as the Lord of heavenly armies, uh, the commander of cosmic forces, uh, the head of divine councils, the leader of Israel's army. It describes God's role in a warrior capacity. God is Israel's champion who fights for his people throughout history. So when enemy nations and kingdoms attack God's people, 
They have no need to be shaken. God's sovereignty trumps the nations uh, and as well as kingdoms. When it says in verse 6 that nations rage and, and kingdoms totter, it's describing the enemy of God's people. And while they may threaten God's people and co- uh, cause trouble for them, God only needs to speak his voice and they will be destroyed. They will dissolve away. God will divinely judge enemy nations of his people. So students of Beacon, you know, do you find yourselves distressed at the things going on in, the, in this world, maybe surrounding you, around you? Perhaps you sense it is difficult to live out your faith in a hostile environment on campus where it seems like morality has changed now in, in, in the U.S. and everyone around you seems to have their own opinions on what is right and wrong. And now they, they ask you, you know, what do you believe? What do you stand for? While everyone seems to be against God and the moral truths that God stands for, such as the sanctity of human life, you find the only safe place on your campus is your Christian fellowship. Realize that, you know, God is present with you, and you need not fear. You may find comfort in God's presence even when you're faced with enemies of truth. But rather than being silenced on campus, you know, I want to encourage you to, to stand up for Christ and the truth of God's word on campus, you know, that these issues that may be not necessarily gospel issues that people ask you about, uh, about your faith, you know, that, you know, you would consider them seriously and see that as an opportunity to reach out to them with the greatest news of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ, while answering their questions from a Christian worldview. And that's another plug for this upcoming event I would encourage you to go to if you go to USC or you don't, that they're ha- having like an Ask Moeller Q&A thing. And I think this is a great opportunity for you guys to uh, really just think through, you know, how should we be engaging, you know, non-believers and answering questions that they may have um, through, you know, Al example and how he'll be answering uh, a lot of questions regarding truth, you know. There's no need for us to, to fear or to hide away the things that, uh, that we believe in, you know, the Bible. Um, we are called to be salt and light on the earth. And so that's just an encouragement uh, to you guys, okay? Um, you're, fr- you're fighting a spiritual battle. And that's the reality of it. Not only for your own personal holiness, but against the world that you live in. And so that brings us to the third reason why we can be confident in God during difficult times in life. Uh, the third reason we can be confident in God during difficult times in life is that his purposes are certain. God's purposes are certain. Verses 8 through 11, okay? Look at, uh, with me at verse 8. The psalmist starts with, Come, behold the works of the Lord. This isn't just a, a suggestion or uh, something to consider if you have free time left over from other stuff going on in life. Uh, this is a command. It's an imperative. And it's a command and call to everyone, uh, both enemy and friend of God, to reflect on God's works. To reflect on God's works. Throughout the history of redemption, nations and kingdoms have risen and fallen. God has always been faithful to his people. At the same time, evil nations have seized. And this is a great source of hope for those of us who are oppressed or facing evil nations, that God always wins. He is the one who ends wars, and there will be a day one day when there is no longer any violence in this world, uh, when wars will cease uh, on earth, and there will be peace in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, There will be an end to to wars and violence when God's people will be freed from the presence of sin. Uh, Verse 9 gives clarity on what type of desolations on earth God will bring about. God will break the weapons of war. Uh, These are acts of judgment uh, as God will judge the wicked. Uh, And because of this certainty, 
His people can have confidence in their God and live in the present with hope, hoping God's purposes, which are bound to occur 100% of the time. Uh, bows and spears were weapons of war common among the infantry of, of an army. Okay? But a chariot, a chariot signified even greater strength and power on the battlefield in trying to exert dominance. Uh, it would be the equivalent of a Hummer or tank used in modern warfare when it's on the battlefield. But even such powerful military units as this are nothing compared to the God who will bring wars to an absolute end. Everything will be destroyed, and this truth really puts things into perspective for those who love God. That wars uh, around the world, violence uh, close to us, whether it be in, in L.A., you know, on campus, is a current reality that will soon end because God is sovereign and his purposes are irrevocable. Finally, I want to draw your attention to verses 10 through 11. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now look with me at that phrase, Be still and know that I am God. Once again, we see another command to everyone. And what it means to be still and know that I'm God is this. It's a call to stop doing what you're doing in order uh, to favor something else. To put your attention on something else. And that is to favor God. Because throughout Israel's history, the nation was always tempted to abandon their love for God. For security and other things and other idols. Whether it be political alliances, uh, trusting in men. Uh, military strength, or even uh, trusting in the world. And this would often lead or amplify their own idolatry. So what, it, what does it mean to know who God is? Well, it includes truth about who God is, his past acts of faithfulness, <coughs> his promises, but also it's a call to commit yourselves to God and seek refuge in him, that you would find safety in God confidently. This is a life of faith lived continually, acknowledging God is in control of everything over your life. He has a right over everything in your life. Everything you say, everything you do, how you use your time. This is a call to submit to God. Uh, this isn't a call to, to contemplative thinking and live life as an ascetic monk, you know, separate from everyone. Like booms and ahs in the basement of your school's library. Nor is it an excuse to just veg out on your couch, waiting for God to open and close doors in your life with a passive faith, okay? So it's not that either. But what it is, is it's almost like a, it is an admonishment for those who ignore God in their lives, to not place a priority in their relationship and their walk with God as Christians, for being so crazy busy with our lives that we make no room for God and the things that he cares about for our, our lives, the things that he values, uh, whether that be uh, fellowship with other believers, you know, in, in our devotional time and prayer and studying his word, you know, making disciples, those are the type of things that he cares about. And it's when we put those things to the side that, you know, he's trying to correct us on, that we are not being still and know that God is there. It is seeking refuge in what the world tells us is important. What the world tells us will protect us, will protect our future, will provide security for our future, will protect our grades, future jobs, future relationships, you know you're living in a hyperactive world of social media that's intruding you with messages and bombarding you with articles for you to consider. They're all vying to grab your attention. Now, like those clubs and groups trying to get, your, get you to join every time you go through and walk down like Grunewald. 
God will be exalted among all the nations and exalted in, in the earth. To exalt basically means to hold someone up high, okay, in high regard. It's to speak highly. It's to praise, to, to glorify, to, to revere. And in the world right now, that's not actually happening. Not everyone's lips are praising or exalting God. You know, to, to profess faith in Christ, you might be considered an enemy, a, a hater. But the reality is, there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God. And that's what it means at the future judgment. Those who disregard and have ignored God, they will exalt him, whether they like it or not. All nations will recognize his power and his right to rule. And the one with the right to rule is the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, only begotten Son. He came in all humility as a king that was rejected during his first coming. But he will come again a second time and demonstrate his power as he judges those who have rejected him before. And at this point, we have to understand what does it really mean to be still and know that I am God. For those of you who are Christians, you, you understand that application to, to really regard and view God as being important in your life. To not shove him aside. But those of you who are maybe just visiting Deacon or may not know who Jesus Christ is, you have to acknowledge and, and know that he is the Son of God, and he is the one that you are to know. He is the Lamb who can take away your sins. Uh, God sent his very own Son uh, to live a perfect life that we could not live because we disobeyed God. We sinned against him, and because of that, we deserve death, separated from God, because he is holy and he has to punish us. But he is also a loving God and gracious in sending his Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross on our behalf. And just like Jesus resurrected we can have eternal life and, and resurrect too, so that we would not be judged that day. And so for those of you who are visiting who do not know Jesus Christ, I would compel you to really consider uh, what does it mean to be a Christian, to ask maybe one of your friends who invited you out, you know, well, who is this God that I need to be still and know? With that said, I just want to conclude that, you know, in all that we've talked about, I, I pray that you would move towards a greater confidence in God, I know that, I don't know everything going on in your lives right now that maybe causes you anxious or causes you to be fearful on a daily basis. But know that, you know, whatever problem you're facing, whatever issue, uh, the answer isn't to look towards yourself, but it's to, to commit those things to God, to bring them forward in prayer and, and to trust Him in those moments uh, and, and not, you know, be, be you know, out of control in how you conduct your speech, and which just really manifests and shows, you know, how oftentimes... Uh, we are not trusting God. We're not placing our confidence in God in difficult times. Uh, well, why don't I close with a word of prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm, this poem of great confidence in you, Lord, even when the world is turned upside down, Lord, when Everything else ought to tell us that we should be stressful for our lives are about to be destroyed, Lord. And whether it's the smaller things that cause us stress to be fearful or the larger things in life, Lord, I pray that we would be able to grow in a greater confidence in you, Lord. That we, like the reformer Martin Luther, would see you as a mighty fortress, Lord, a bulwark that's never failing, that's steadfast and always there when we are in trouble and in in our life, Lord, and that we would turn to you and, and trust you uh, rather than uh, turn in fear, Lord, and perhaps uh, try to control our situation in our own power, Lord, uh, 
without acknowledging that we are weak, Lord, and that you are in control of everything. Um, so I, I pray that even as we break off into small groups, Lord, that we would be able to um, just reflect on what we have learned and kind of talk through and, and really share uh, areas in our lives that we still fall short. Not to maybe uh, encourage a, a pity party, Lord, but to encourage each other, Lord, and to, to grow in the area of, of our faith, Lord. That you would grant us faith and, and to trust you, Lord. Even if we anticipate some difficult times in our life or we're going through some, some major trials and struggles even right now. 